Like I said, I'm really thankful to being here, and I know you guys are already wondering why I have a Lego airplane on my table, so I'm going to go ahead and, and get that um, taken care of. Um, my kids have been bitten by the Lego bug, uh, really, this past year. And honestly, uh, I love this stage of their life because I'm an undiagnosed Lego addict as well. And <laughs> we spend hours, I mean, we could really just spend hours every week building different different vehicles, different houses, and different people, different robots, and then the robots fight each other, and they have pieces fly everywhere. It's a lot of fun, and I, I love being able to do that with my kids. But um, this particular airplane is, I, I wanted to bring it today because um, have you ever tried to assemble a Lego set without any instructions at all? It's really hard. Um, I actually found this airplane was actually came in a, in a Ziploc bag. And, and those parents that, that also have kids that had the Lego bug, they know that Legos can be quite expensive. And so I, I found this airplane, but it was all broken up and in, in a Ziploc bag at the Red Cross thrift shop. And so I was excited. I got it. I brought it home. And there were no instructions inside. So we tried to put it together, and uh, my kids, they were sort of the judges of the process, and they're like, well, why is this piece over here, and, or why is this not lining up right here? And I knew it was an airplane because I saw that it looked like it had some wings, and it had three wheels, and it had like jet engines, but the product that I produced was not satisfactory to my kids. So we decided to Google it, and we finally found the step-by-step the -step instructions. And what I had to do was, first I had to admit that I was wrong, <laughs> that my airplane was inferior to the Lego-designed plane, and I had to take everything apart, like from every single piece. I had to disconnect it and put it down beside me. And then using the instructions, going step by step, we began to assemble what we see before us today. Now, it can feel frustrating at times to return to the beginning. It can feel frustrating to admit that we were wrong. And I think that it's, it's part of this human erroneous concept that we have, that life just moves in a linear direction, always getting better, always going up, never dipping down, never looping back around to start again. And we obviously, I mean, it's, it's, we want to move in a certain direction. We want, we want to, to get to where God has called us to go. But sometimes that requires a step back. Sometimes that requires releasing a lot of things that you thought were important and that you thought were right. <laughs> you know, sometimes God asks us to do that. And there's, there's this, this quality that we find in the scriptures that God is not worried about the speed necessarily, but about our destination. <laughs> And I guess you could accurately say that God has all the time in the world. So people in the Bible often spent times waiting and waiting or returning or stepping back before moving forward to actually completing what God willed in their life. So church, today I want us to look at what God is doing in our lives. If you are a follower of Christ, you know that God is shaping you. And that affects not only you, but the people around you. 
if we want to effectively become the people and the church that God has purposed us to be, we must look for his word for instruction because we do not even know what the finished product looks like in our life. (laughs) We can imagine in our minds where we want to be and where we want to go, but you're going to be just as lost as I was when I was trying to build this airplane without any instructions. (laughs) The good news is that we have instruction. We have God's word to guide us. So we're going to look at that today. My prayer is that God would use his word to instruct us, to change us, and that we would find his son to be the cornerstone, the very first piece in our life. So let me pray for that. God, we we come before you and we acknowledge that we can't do this without you. We we try so many times to try to do things without you, and, and then we wonder why we're failing later in life. So Lord, I pray that you would just open up our eyes to see just the, the necessity that, that you are in our life, God, that we cannot live this without you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that this message would be just centered on your word and that it would be all about you, Lord. I pray that we would see that you are the cornerstone that we need in our life. I pray that you would speak to each person where they are individually and that you would show them what it is that they've been building and, Lord, where it is that you want to take them. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to read a passage in Revelation, and then we're going to work our way backwards, sort of back to the beginning. Um, but first, a little background on the passage. Um, now, John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he was actually sent into exile onto an, an, an abandoned island called Patmos. And while he was there, he had a vision, and this vision was to be sent to seven churches that were actually sort of nearby, located in what is today called Turkey. Um, In this vision, he saw Jesus standing before him, and he instructed him what to write down. He had a specific message for each church, and we are going to look at what is addressed to the Ephesian church today. Ephesus was where Paul had spent over two years encouraging and teaching the believers, and it was a big city. So some sources say that it was the second largest city of that time with over 250,000 people. It had a lot of pagan influences and it had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, which is located there. And it was called the Temple to Artemis, okay? Now it was originally over twice the size of the Parthenon and it was made of marble. And according to many ancient scholars, it was the most impressive of all the man-made structures at that time. It said that it even dwarfed and made the the pyramids and um, the walls of Babylon, it were, they laid in its shadows. It was so beautiful, according to that, that person. So the, the Ephesian people, they, they lived immersed in this kind of culture. It was immersed in a pagan society. They took pride in that temple and the pagan God that it honored. And, and for Christians, it was really hard to maintain their zeal for God. I mean, their beginning was bright. They caught on to the gospel that Paul had preached. And they were faithful followers of Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 1.1. But apparently, there was a lot of false teachings going around there. And in that, in that teaching, one of them was a group called the Nicolaitans. And it's a really odd group, but they were teaching that Christians should participate in adultery, and that that would actually bring more glory to God and more unity as a church, and it was really weird. But some people started to stray, and some people started following the customs that the worshipers, the worshipers of Artemis did instead of what God commanded them to do. 
And, you know, I think it's kind of accurate, you know, to, to see how many times in the Bible we're referred to as sheep or God's flock. And uh, the fact is that sheep stray. We stray quite often. And it's, it's sad, but we often abandon what we know is good. And, and so Jesus is here, and he's addressing these churches, these people that are, that are trying to not stray, but they are straying. He addresses them through John, and he, he wants them to just come back, come back to the beginning, come back to return to what they know is true. So that's the background. Let's look at Revelation 2. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. You can use one of the Bibles in the chair back pockets if you want, or look at it on your phone. We're reading from Revelation 2, verse 2. It says this to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. (laughs) He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant thee the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, here in this passage, we see a group of Christians that they started off so well. Their lives were filled with patient endurance that was able to discern false teachings from God's word, but they were falling away, sheep that were straying. What happened to them? How did they go from faithful followers to abandoning the love that they had at first? How did they forget their first love? They had fallen, and Jesus was calling them back. And and so many times we, we think, Oh, well, you know, maybe it just changed. But what changed? Jesus does not change. God's word does not change. They had changed. Their priorities were now changed. So he who has an ear, please listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Come back to him. We got to get back to him, church. We got to get back to the beginning. I don't know if you remember what it was at the beginning, or maybe you haven't had your beginning yet. But let let me look at what another translation, how they read verse 4 and 5, and this is found in the Amplified Bible. It's going to be behind me. Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. It says this, But I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. So remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior. Seek God's will. And do the works you did at first when you first knew me. Otherwise, I will visit you, remove your lampstand, the church, its impact from its place, unless you repent. Church, I think that that call exists for us today. We cannot forget the depth of our first love for Christ. And he's calling us because he loves us. He loves his church. I mean, so often we are symbolized as sheep that go astray, but his church is symbolized as his bride that he loves. 
And whatever he says to us, whatever he's encouraging us to do, he's doing it because he loves us and it's for our good. That's precisely why he spoke through John to the Ephesians, because he loved them and he loves us today. So I want to look at what Paul wrote 30 years prior to this message by, my, by John. And he sent it to the same group of people in Ephesus just 30 years earlier. This is found in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Okay? So it says this. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, when I read this, and and I read how, how God has placed a cornerstone for them and that he's building them into a temple, and I think about just how the, the Christians in Ephesus might have, must have felt. I mean, think of the isolation, okay? The majority of this huge city are so just in love with this temple and this false god named Artemis, and their whole lives revolved around that. And there are these Christians now that we're now saying, we're, we're following this, this other god, and that we might not have a temple right now, we're... Paul is encouraging us that we're going to be built into a spiritual temple that is own, that God's going to use to dwell in in his spirit. And this was an amazing encouragement. It was a difficult place to live. If you want to read later in Acts 19, you see how there is a riot that, that occurred because all the, the silversmiths and the, the people that, that worshipped Artemis they, they were starting a riot against Paul and the Christians because they saw that, okay, this, this Christianity is really going to disrupt our idol-making business, and that's how we make our money. And so they filled the streets with people chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two straight hours. That's a lot of hostility. And the new Christians were living in that, and they chose to follow the gospel, and God brought them into what he was doing it was no longer a message for just the Jewish people, but it was for the people that once worshipped Artemis. It was for the people that lived in Ephesus. It was for the whole world. And God was building them together into a holy temple. No longer strangers. No longer foreigners. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. They weren't alone. And they were being carefully joined together into a holy temple, into a dwelling place, and it was going to be far greater than that beautiful temple that was built by the Ephesians. You know, their love for Christ really must have been strong. I mean, for you to be able to, to, to exist in that kind of environment, you were sincere. If you trusted Jesus, you trusted him with your life. And it's because they had found the cornerstone and they were being built into the holy temple. So God's wonderful plan was at work there, guys. But what happened? I mean, 30 years go by, and what happened between that, that time period? Did they lose momentum? Were they distracted? Were they disillusioned by the false teachers and friends and family that were pulling them away from their new faith? 
from Jesus, their cornerstone. Now, this, this image of a cornerstone, it's, we still use it today. Um, it's, it's imagery and it's symbolic nature. It's, it can even be found in, in a lot of the buildings here, I'm sure. Um, sometimes you'll find on the corner of a building, you'll find like a plaque or you'll find like a, a, a stone that looks different from all the others. And it's set into the corner and it usually has an inscription or an engraving on it. And it's, it talks about being dedicated by a certain person or for a certain cause or in a certain year. And that's what we think of as, as a cornerstone. It's like an, it's something that's added to the building to let you know the value of that building. Now, the use for a cornerstone was very different when Jesus spoke. Ancient architects used cornerstones to aid in their building process. It was placed first and foremost, and all the other stones that were placed either on top of it or beside it depended on the accuracy of that one stone. A level structure of the building depended that the stone had to be level, and the strategic rock was placed where the weight of both walls, of the adjoining walls, they would come together, and the walls would depend on the structural capability to hold strong. If your cornerstone was weak or askew, then the whole building itself would be unstable. Let's go back a little further into Isaiah 28. It says this. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says, look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. And church, this is the message for us, <laughs> that God has placed a stone in our lives. It's a firm and it's a tested stone. It's a precious stone. It can hold your life. It can hold your livelihood if you build on it. And it won't be shaken. It seems so clear that we would want this stone in our lives. It makes me remember of, of a family in Peru that we were helping to build a house. Um, you see, this, this giant landslide had come in and it had destroyed their previous house. But in the process, that, that giant landslide had actually exposed an enormous granite boulder. It was like basically a, the size of the mountain itself. So it, it exposed that, and it also brought in smaller boulders that came into their property. And so one of the tasks that we had to do in helping this family was to clear out the boulders. And we didn't have heavy machinery. No bulldozers could reach this site. So we had to split those rocks to where they were movable size to be able to move them out of the property. But that huge rock, I mean, it was, it was massive. It stayed strong through the landslide. It didn't move at all. And so that family actually built on the rock. It was strong. It was a strong rock, and it was safe to build on. They, they drilled holes down into it, and they put their wall on top of that rock. There was nothing ornamental about that rock. <laughs> it was actually quite intrusive to their planning. The whole structure of the house was situated so that that one rock became the back corner of the house. It was something that the family depended on. It was something that they actually built their life on. <laughs> Now, let's also look at how Peter uses the same imagery from Isaiah. It's the same imagery that's also found in Psalm 118, but we're not going to read that today. 
But in 1 Peter 2, it says this in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And church, this is where we see, this is where you have a crucial decision to make. Is Jesus Christ your cornerstone or is he your stone of stumbling? And I ask you, why? Why would we reject him? If we're told that trusting in this rock will lead us not into shame, that there is honor for those who believe and trust in this cornerstone, to them, why, church, would we reject him? And it makes me think again of that family in Peru and that, that tor- terrible situation that they were in, but they had a decision to make. They could view that rock as intrusive, <laughs> that huge boulder as something that's intruding into their life and into their plans. And honestly, there wasn't an option of, of heavy machinery or, or dynamite. We tried to... to to break up some of the rocks with a jackhammer and it just dulled the jackhammer. It was a really strong rock. (laughs) They could view it as intrusive and their only option would have been then to pick another place to live because they couldn't do anything about the rock. Or they could build their house around it. So what is your view of Jesus? Is his word intrusive and unwelcome in your life? Or do you build your life on him? I know that that seems quite obvious where I would want you to go, but, but think about it. Why, why do we sometimes think that we know better? Why does our humanity refuse God's good plan, reject his son's guidance and support, and then wonder why everything is falling around us? <laughs> Unfortunately, it is in our sinful nature to reject God's love and his good plan that he has for our lives. The only reason that we can approach this cornerstone and to build on it is by God's incredible grace that he's given us, that we can approach him and that we can build on him. So Christ is either the rock you build on or he's the stone that you trip on. It's all about your perspective of him. And honestly, in Scripture, I don't see a middle ground. I don't see another option. Either Jesus is your Lord, or he is not your Lord. Your perception of him honestly doesn't even change who he is. You see, he's he's the stone that was not created. He, He always was. He's not cut or carved with human hands, because then that would be an idol. He's an immovable, monolithic cornerstone that you can either build your life on or choose not to. 
So many people see the value of having such a rock in their lives. They, they earnestly want stability in their life, and, you know, that is what a cornerstone does. If, it, it, what a cornerstone really does is it gives you that stability, but it, it also regulates the rest of your life. It regulates how the rest of the building is built, and many people would rather have an ornamental Jesus in their life instead of a founding structure that dictates the entire building. So I I ask you, you know, do you remember the day that you understood the gospel? Maybe you're not there yet, or maybe that day was a long time ago, or maybe that day is even today. But the day in which you realize that the creator of the universe was willing to send his son to die for my sins and give me a chance to have a firm foundation in my life. I remember the gratitude, the love that I had for him. I I was at a Christian rock concert and the band, it took me a while to try to remember the name of the band, but I remembered the song that they were singing and I was 13 years old, and I remember the, the lyrics of the song were basically just repeating, all to my God and King, all to my God and King. And I remember not being able to contain the tears that were flowing down my face, and I was on my knees, and I just, I surrendered everything to him. I just said, God, I want to give you everything. I want to build on you because I I know that I'm not doing this right. Thank you, God. Thank you. And I was just, I was a mess. I was was crying and and thanking God and, and just proclaiming my love for him. And I remember leaving there saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to build my life on him and I, I'm going to follow God the rest of my life. And I remember how, how it went. I was on fire there for a few weeks. <laughs> And then I started slipping. And it felt like my hunger for him just was waning. It was being filled with other things, with other people. And I would open my Bible and I would feel convicted by what I read. And it was uncomfortable and I was stumbling all over the place. And I started not wanting to know what the Bible said about certain things. I really liked the way that Jesus made me feel that one time. (laughs) Or the way he made me feel at youth group or at youth camp. But my life was not being built on him. See, I I had wanted him to be like a decorative plaque. Uh, I wanted to place on the wall of my own temple, my own temple that didn't worship Artemis or God, but myself. And it's not because the problem was that, that, that I had misplaced Jesus, that I had set him in the wrong spot in my life, Because Jesus is not an idol that we can put in a corner. He is the corner. He is the cornerstone. And I was trying to build my own life and have him join me on my journey, but I wasn't depending on him. I wanted him to enrich my life, not control it. I realized that I had to return to him, not to that certain emotional feeling that I had when I was 13 or that certain song or band. I needed to just return to him and return to what I was building on. And sometimes you have to go back to the beginning to get it right. You know, there are days when I recognize that my love for God and his word, they've been replaced by other things. 
And it's then and there that I remember that my 13-year-old self was there kneeling in a puddle of tears at, at some concert. And, and I, rec- I remember and, and I recognize that that 13-year-old guy, he didn't get it right from then on. But he made a decision. And that decision was a beginning. There I made a decision to build my life on him. And oh, there would be so many times where I had to tear down my own temple to build on the true cornerstone. And I had to remember from where I had fallen. And I had to thank God and Jesus, thank you so much that you love me so much, that you did something about it, and that you call me back to him. I had to remember my love for him to be a part of the temple that he's actively building, a temple that cannot be left in ruin, a temple that cannot be shaken or moved because its foundation and its cornerstone is unshakable. Do you remember that, that great, incredible temple in Ephesus to, Artem, to Artemis? You can actually still visit it today. I think I have a picture of it. That's all that's left. Time has not been gentle, yet today God's temple, his church, is still being built, and we must use his word for guidance. Our life needs to be guided by his holy word because it's a blueprint, and his Holy Spirit will show you how to put it in action in your life, and I I understand, and I could never pretend that this is an easy decision that doesn't affect your life that it doesn't affect your family, it doesn't affect your relationships around you. It has to affect everything. But it's the right decision. And my confidence in it, although has shaken, it has grown in that over the last 18 years. There have been many, many times when God has called me back. And that's why we need to know what the Word of God says. His Word speaks to us. He loves us, and we come back to him. Come back to him if you've fallen away. Remember your first love. We need to recognize who he is. He's not a weak God. He's not a weak Jesus. Don't confuse his love for you to be weak. And I I don't have it on the screen, but I want to read um, Revelation 1. This This is when John first first starts hearing from Jesus. And um, it's the beginning of the vision that he has, and I I think it's important to know who it is that's talking to us because the author will determine the weight. The author will determine the importance of the message. So this is what it says in Revelation 1.12. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. 
And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, <laughs> but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive furthermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Our God is powerful. <laughs> Just that one image of him there is an image of wisdom and might, and holiness, and his, his feet were like burnished bronze because he had walked on this earth, and he had experienced tribulation and trial, and he reigned supreme. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. <laughs> and that same voice says this, but I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love, you have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. So remember the heights from which you have fallen and repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior. Seek God's will and do the works you did at first when you first knew me. So church, uh, I'm closing with this. I ask you a simple question. Is Jesus an obstacle or is he your cornerstone? Now, I don't think you'd be here today if you thought he was an obstacle in your life. But let me ask you this. Does he regulate and anchor your life, or is he a decorative figure in a temple that you're building for yourself? Maybe you know the right answer, but you struggle with the consequences of that decision. Know that his word is written out of love, and it is good for us. You can trust it. It's a firm foundation. Maybe you've spent your whole life building a temple, your own temple to your own self. It's not too late. You can come to him, come home to him. And maybe you've lost the depth of love that you first had for him. And I would just ask you to clear away those idols. Remember the way that you felt Remember the, the action in your life when you first came to know what that love was that he had for you. So clear away your idols and seek him like you did at the beginning. Never forget his love that he has for you. Never forget that this, this word that is written to us, it's, it's not been given to us by a, a God that needs us, but it is a, written by a God that loves us and that we need him to be that cornerstone in our life. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this message that, that you have given. God, we, we understand that we mess up so many times, and it is just incredible that you call us back and that you forgive us and that you have enough grace to receive us again. Lord, I pray for each person that's here, for myself included, that, that we're struggling, Lord, because we like to build our own, our own temples and we like to build our own vision of what we think life should be. But I pray that you would just give us a clear vision as to what it is that you want to do through us, Lord. Help us, shape us, and mold us, Lord. And if we have to destroy what we've been building, Lord, help us to have the strength to do that. Help us to rely on you and see that you are so good.
that you are worthy, worthy to be praised and worthy to give it all to, Lord. I pray that you would be our cornerstone, that you would regulate our life, Lord, that you would bring correction into our life and that you would show us when we're out of line, Lord. And it's with your, your grace and your love, Lord, that we can come before you and repent and run to you, Lord. So I pray in this time that we would do that, that we would see how much you love us, that we would see your power and your strength, and we would follow you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.